I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. I'm so glad you decided to join us for this week's episode of the Parenting Aces podcast. We are talking with Tim Russell, the head of the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, the ITA, about this new transition tour that was recently announced by the ITF and the potential impact it's going to have on college tennis and college tennis recruiting. And we've got a great, great conversation with Tim But before I jump into that, I wanted to just let you guys know I got the chance to go to Montgomery, Alabama and watch some of the Blue-Gray Tournament, and it is such an awesome event. And if you guys have kids that are on the college tennis pathway, you have got to get out to some of these college matches. I mean, the quality and the level of tennis that is being played by these kids nowadays is just through the roof. And besides that, it's just fun. It's not like going to a junior tournament where everybody's all tense and quiet and whispery. This is rowdy. It's full of team support and rah-rah, and it's just a blast. So if you haven't gotten out to a dual match yet this year, please take a look at your local team's schedule, whether it's D1, D2, D3, JUCO, NAIA. I mean, it doesn't matter which division of college tennis you go watch. I promise you, you're going to see some great tennis and you're going to have so much fun. So please, please, please get that on your schedule ASAP. Now, we are going to transition into my conversation with Tim and... Like I said, this new ITF transition tour has a lot of people kind of scratching their heads, not sure what to do about it, not sure what to make of it, and especially when it comes to the whole question of college tennis and how college players are going to be treated by this new tour. There's just a lot of unanswered questions, as you'll hear Tim say over and over and over again. And to his credit, Tim has done an incredible amount of research. He has reached out to the folks at the ITF, including ITF President Dave Haggerty. And if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because Dave is a past president of the USTA, which kind of sort of begs the question of, you know, wouldn't he kind of pay attention to the impact that this change is going to have on U.S. college tennis? So we're going to have to wait and see what the actual ramifications are or you know, maybe this is going to wind up being a really good thing for college tennis. And I I certainly am pulling for that outcome. But in the meantime, I hope you'll enjoy listening to Tim and his thoughts on how we need to approach the whole idea of transitioning from now juniors to college. And for those players who have professional tennis on their long-term radar, how this new ITF transition tour is going to play out for them. So relax, enjoy my conversation with Tim Russell. Tim Russell of the ITA, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Always a pleasure to be with you, Lisa, and with your listeners. 
Well, always a pleasure to have you on too. And I always know that I'm going to get straight talk from you. So I'm very excited to jump right into the conversation about the ITF's announcement of its new transition tour and it how that's going to impact not only college-bound junior players, but also those current college players who are looking to move on to the pro tour once they finish their college careers. So I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to let you talk to us a little bit about the ins and outs of this transition tour and your understanding of how it's going to affect those of us connected to the college game. Well, thanks. And thanks for having me, but also for uh, having this important topic, uh, uh, available to your listeners. So first of all, I think the answer to your question of how this is going to impact everyone, I think the best answer is that we don't know. Uh, I think we can agree that the premises that the ITF started with are probably, uh, you know, good ones in terms of uh, who is a pro player, how many were actually making money. I think everybody knows there were certain things they were trying to solve, including uh, some gambling issues at uh, lower level, entry level futures, et cetera. So if we take as a premise, you know, what their givens were, uh, I think, you know, they were trying to solve what they perceived as real problems. But the direct answer to your question is we don't know with what they've announced how that's actually going to impact people. So my answer might be a little long, uh, and then we can get into some specifics. But first of all, uh, as you know, I've been in the world of tennis my whole life, but only, you know, working in the tennis industry for the past three years. And some of my observations to your point about being candid is that uh, the more I've been in the tennis world, uh, I know that there are now a lot of silos. Uh, We've got the ATP, we have the WTA, we've got uh, the ITF, uh, and the ITF put out this transition tour. And obviously there were some uh, consultations, obviously with ATP and WTA, I can tell you that I tried very hard in my role as the CEO of the ITA to make sure that we had, uh, you know, our voice heard. Uh, I did speak with Dave Haggerty, the president of the ITF, uh, last September in New York. Uh, I expressed my concerns that we had to make sure that the transition tour was not detrimental to uh, college players or prospective college players. He put me in touch with Andrew Moss of the ITF, who was working on helping to uh, design the transition tour. Uh, We had lovely chats. I applaud Andrew for for listening. Uh, We talked a lot about both intended and unintended consequences. And without diverting too much in the world of history, I think a lot of people know that I chaired the USTA's Junior Competition Committee when we tried to make a major change. So I learned a lot, not only about intended and unintended consequences, but also about processes. And I I talked a lot to Andrew about these unintended consequences. I also provided for the ITF a study that I had the ITA staff do, which was comparing the top uh, 50 ranked men and women in the college rankings with the top uh, 50 ITF juniors by way of UTR. Uh, And I thought that that was an important uh, data point. One of the things that I think most college coaches would agree is that we need a common currency and UTR clearly could be 
part of that. And when I asked Andrew and the ITF if they would use UTR, their response was that uh, obviously every federation doesn't use UTR. At that point, I responded that if they announced that starting in 2019, it was part of the transition tour, I thought that every federation would, but they're not uh, doing that. So that leads me to what some of the, the challenges are. One, we now know in what they've put out that the transition tour will have its, its own point system uh, and that if a player plays in the transition tour, they're not actually getting ATP and WTA points. So some of the big issues that, uh, that I think people need to be questioning is, one, how are the points going to work going from the transition tour to the ATP and WTA? Uh, but bigger issues are going to be how do you actually get into the transition tour events? And as you know, not only juniors, but a lot of college players have historically not only tried to play in futures, but their real pathway has been through the, the qualifiers to the futures. So some of the qualifiers to the futures have actually been draws of as much as like 128. And now those draws are going to be shrunk down to uh, like 24. And the question is going to be, all right, where do all those other 100 players in that particular city go to try to get their their entry, uh, their point of entry? Uh, and so what I'm concerned about is that a number of us, and I do count myself in the circle, have spent the last 15 to 20 years convincing people that going to college is a pathway uh, to pro tennis. And the new leadership at the USTA in player development with Martin Blackman has certainly embraced that. And last year at the U.S. Open, we certainly saw how many college players were being uh, successful. So some of my concerns are that we potentially could be going back to the 90s where uh, people really thought they had to turn pro at 15 or 16 years old. And my concern is that at the same time that that discussion is going on, I think we all know now that the average age of the top 100 men and women is actually getting older. Uh, I think for men, it's, it's 27 or 28 years old, and for women, it's 26 or 7. And uh, the reality is there are going to be a lot of people having to figure out how this is going to work. So sadly, uh, Lisa, if you thought today I was going to tell everybody how to make their pathway decisions, that's not happening because I think we're all going to have to feel our way together. And I'll give you some of the uh, things that the ITA is doing uh, ourselves and some of the things we're trying to do in partnership with the USTA. First of all, uh, uh, I have a wonderful working relationship with Martin Blackman and with Stephen Armitrage at USDA Player Development. I've been in conversations with Megan Rose, who runs the USDA Pro Circuits. All of us will be on calls in the coming weeks trying to figure out how we navigate this. As you know, the USDA had as a business model that they were trying to get a lot of uh, futures events and challenger events on college campuses. And this provided opportunities not only for the college players to play on their campus, but for uh, young juniors who were in the neighborhood to try to qualify, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of the decisions that our coaches are going to now have to make is should they be trying to put these transition tours on their college campuses? Because it used to be that the logic was, okay, we'll put a college uh, a challenger here on our campus 
And then if our players uh, get points, then this is going to help them uh, transition to the to the pro circuit. And uh, Stephen Armitage had a formula that he did very well, and I'm sure you could have him on, where his goal was to get people like the Chris Eubankses and, and people like Francesca Di Lorenzo to a certain point, whether it was top 300, top 250, uh, while they were still in college. And this was a model that was working quite uh, well. Uh, and again, without us knowing how the transition points are going to work, how they're going to transition to the ATP and WTA, there's a lot of uh, uh, decisions that, that really we just don't know the uh, the answers to at the moment. Uh, one of the last things I'll say uh, before uh, you know we kind of dig a little deeper is some of my concern also is that uh, this idea of taking the pyramid, if you draw a pyramid, and we're basically saying that seven or eight hundred players are pros, and the bottom of the pyramid we're not sure. One of the things I think we have to be careful of is that we don't kill off the dream for everybody at the bottom of the pyramid for the long-term health of the sport of tennis. I mean, even that young junior who's trying to qualify to get into a futures thinks of becoming a pro player. And I'll use my son, Jeff Russell, as an example. I mean, he was in high school in Phoenix. He was a state champion in Arizona. There was a future in Phoenix and he went and actually played in the qualities, won a couple of rounds. And there's just a lot of stuff with the new model that we don't know how it's going to actually uh, work. But the one thing I can tell you that we're trying to do with the ITA, and this is something that is important, the ITA is trying to take a leadership role to demonstrate how a new model might work, not only in America, but around the world. And that is in reference to our summer circuit, which a lot of people know about. Summer circuit has historically been a place over six weeks uh, in June and July, leading to an August championship where high school players and college players uh, have played together, and we're hoping to create a model where we're going to hope to add some prize money to our uh, last major tournaments to hope to uh, bring in some of the young professionals who would find this as a good opportunity. And one, potentially they might be able to make more money than they could at the futures, but two, it should then make it where more, even better college players want to play uh, uh, in those events as well. So while the ITA obviously didn't, uh, you know, make the decisions about the transition tour, we tried to uh, have our voices heard. Uh, we are trying to make sure that we're doing our part to create not only play opportunities, but really high level play opportunities. So in closing, I would say to try to answer your question, I am confident that, you know, certain kids are going to navigate this no problem. I mean, if you go, let's just use an example. If you take somebody like a Brandon Holt who plays at USC, he has a brilliant coach in Peter Smith, but he's also got, you know, brilliant parents and Tracy Austin and, uh, and Scott. Well, somebody like that is going to figure out how to navigate this, but you know, just the average person, whether it's a junior or a, uh, a college player is really going to have to have some good advice and we're going to try to do our best to provide information, but that information is going to be forthcoming, I think, over the course of not only this year until the transition tour starts, but after people see how it works uh, uh, for a year or so. Uh, I do know that our coaches are concerned, 
you should know that uh, I have not only sent out and distributed the ITF release to all our coaches, but I'm holding a series of town hall meetings with our coaches. Uh, our coaches are really smart, but getting back to the intersection with juniors where you Lisa, have done so much great work, I continue to believe that given the average age of top pros getting older, that the place for juniors to aspire to play tennis is in college. And that is not just because Tim Russell is the CEO of the ITA. <laughs> uh, I, I can tell you that, you know, aside from working your way through a bunch of futures, uh, you just had to go watch either our men's or women's team indoor and follow the level of play to where teams were winning 7-6 in the third on the last court on. And you're not only playing for yourself, but you're playing for your team and you're getting great coaching and you're getting a school to pay for that, and you're getting an education. And if you then turn pro later on with some of the new rules and regulations in college tennis, these schools are, are pretty much guaranteeing you that they'll pay for your uh, degree when you come back to school. So, you know, the the people who are listening, you know, after I've given this very long answer, and thank you for giving me the platform, I do think that junior players in America should continue to aspire to go to college, even if they're aspiring to be a pro player, how it's going to navigate through the transition tour in the futures. A lot of other smart people are going to try to figure out, but what I would encourage people is not to start rushing to judgment to go, Oh, well, at 15 or 16, I have to choose the transition tour path. I personally believe that would be a mistake. Uh, and I believe that professionally as well. So what's going to happen to the kids transitioning out of college this year or early next year? You know, I, this is one of the things that frustrates me um, with tennis and it happens at the junior level. And obviously it's happening at the professional level is these changes get put in place, but there's no sort of method for the people that are already in the system, you know, and they end up really suffering for that. And I worry about that for the kids who were thinking, you know, I'm ready to go out on the pro tour, but now how do I do that? You know, I've, I'm, I'm in college, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm winning and, and there's not really a pathway described for me. So that that one, at least my reading of this, and I've read through it a lot of times, the people who are getting ready to just leave college, I think they're going to have an easier path than potentially those in a couple of years. And I'll tell you why I say that, is that with the transition tour just getting started in 2019, I think those better players coming out of college, the transition tour will probably be there Route. I think the challenge I have is the person who's making a decision as to whether I go to college next year as a freshman, play for four years, and then if I have to start with the transition tour at the end, I'm going to be way behind the people who've come up through ITF juniors. Mm -hmm. That's why in my ideal world, you know, I would love if the ITF used something like a a, uh, a UTR, and with their listing of automatic uh, acceptances into a tournament, uh, you know, they have certain amounts that are designated for, let's say, top, you know, ITF juniors. For me, if I was able to demonstrate now as my role with the ITA, that the top college player had a higher 
rating than the ITF junior, my you know question to the ITF and my ask of them would be, why would that ITF junior get the place before a higher UTR college player? And those are the things we're not going to know. I'm pretty confident that the players who are going to graduate this year from college and just start the transition tour in 19, they're probably going to be okay starting from ground level. The ones who I think are going to be really asking questions uh, are going to be the top juniors who are now saying, should I go to college or should I do the transition to a route? That's why I gave my my Got hope it. for them. Sadly, I think Sadly, I think too many you know, parents get caught up. And what I don't want to have happen, this is where you're so smart and you've dealt with this for many years, is I think in the absence of good information, too many parents make too many knee-jerk reactions. Um, and, and so, I, you know, my advice is also to stay calm and patient. And, and, and you know, we just don't know. As, you know, that was the first message I, I sent. You know, I was looking forward to being on with you and I tried to prepare my thoughts. My first one uh, is we just don't know what's going to happen. My last one was still go to college. Um, but to, ask your, to answer your specific question, I think the recent college grads will probably, you know, do all, all right. And then over the next two to three years, we'll see how this system works. And I think to the ITS credit, they've made it clear, even if it's not comfortable for people, that there's still more information forthcoming. So I think we're going to have to trust that they're going to keep studying and looking uh, uh, at this. And, and what they're trying to do is very hard. And this is why I can say, you know, I dealt with this when I was doing the USTA junior comp issue, and this affects the entire world. But I also think it, it affects the future of all of tennis in a really large way that I hope when I spoke to guys like Andrew Moss that we really are thinking through the unintended consequences. Sure, sure. One thing that comes to mind, and I'm I'm sure you're already having this conversation, is is there a way to have wild cards available to college players? So uh, Martin Blackman and I just exchanged emails today, and we're going to be on a call uh, with Stephen and Megan Rose uh, on. Uh, what will be uh, next week, uh, which I think, if I haven't screwed this up, will have just happened the day before you broadcast this. Sorry. Um, but, <laughs> but, okay. but the fact is, you're, you're, you're very smart and you know what the issues are. And those are the kind of things that we're talking about. But again, you know, the USDA has uh, wild cards that we can pair with the ITA, and that's what we're talking about. But, you know, we also have issues where college tennis has international players as well and where the USTA is mostly focused on American college players with the ITA. I'm looking at everybody who plays college tennis. So it's a great idea. We're certainly going to explore it. And it will be one of many avenues we explore. And I mean, is it possible that there would be an ITA wildcard as opposed to a USTA wildcard for college players? Well, you know, uh, I, I think these are all the kind of questions that we should be asking. Again, you know, because you've mentioned that I'm usually a candid person and I've done my best to be proactive. I think you've heard me say in the past, I prefer to be an architect upstream instead of a plumber downstream. I yeah. did, you know, reach out to Dave Aggerty. I reached out to, uh, uh, to Andrew Moss. I reached out to players on the ATP Player Council. What I offered to everyone was, hey, we have a bunch of smart coaches here. 
the ITA stands ready to work with all of our coaches to get their input. You know, what didn't happen was circulating a lot of proposals and asking for feedback. You know, the first we saw everything in spite of asking was when everybody saw it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I know that I've thought a lot about this. I know I've thought a lot about process and structures because of my work with the USTA Junior Comp. But I know that we have within the ITA a bunch of much smarter tennis minds uh, than than me. Uh, and I hope that as this continues to unfold, that the people who are making decisions will will talk with them. I do know that some of our very top coaches, some who coach national championship teams, who on their own have reached out to the highest levels of the ITF. Uh, all I know is that, you know, in my estimation, getting all the people who are impacted to sit around the table at once is an avenue I would have pursued and, and something that really didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I'm seeing, and, you know, there's a lot of chatter about this very issue all over social media. Uh, Dave Miley, who <laughs> was with the ITF, he's now with UTR, has been very outspoken um, on social media regarding his thoughts. And and I'm still hoping to get a chance to chat with him. But, I, you know, what is what is the impact of this? Like you said, of course, the ITA still in, is encouraging juniors to go to college first. And, and I, I hope that it's beyond obvious that that's my stance as well. But from a recruiting standpoint for college coaches, and let's face it, a lot of college coaches do a lot of recruiting outside the U.S. and love it or hate it. That's just the reality of college tennis. Have you heard any talk from the coaches about how this could impact their recruiting efforts? So let me just, uh, before I answer that, just reflect briefly on what you said about Dave Miley, who's not only a very smart guy, but very experienced. I actually, uh, you know, retweeted his, you know, tweet in my small social media world. And I made sure that all of our coaches were aware of that because here's a very knowledgeable guy who understands the issues, who, you know, quite honestly went out on his own to articulate things. So uh, uh, to to morph to the answer to your question now about our coaches, it comes back to my first answer of we just don't know, because the one thing about this transition tour is it's not just going to impact American juniors. I mean, it's going to impact, you know, the whole world. So it will impact you know, uh, uh, international players. There are some players, uh, so, sorry, uh, Lisa, some coaches, because you asked about what the coaches are saying, who actually think that this holds the potential to strengthen college tennis. And that might seem counterintuitive because most people are going, oh my gosh, people are going to go quickly turn pro at 15. A lot of people are going to say, okay, um, because we don't have these qualifying draws at 128. It's going to be much harder to do this. The best place for me to go to develop my game is college. And so I think a lot of it's going to be dependent when you ask about recruiting to be how articulate the coaches are about creating their narrative, because I can will contend whether it's a Steve Johnson, a John Isner, a Kevin Anderson, a Nicole Gibbs, that the top college players will find a way to rise to the top of pro tennis, no matter what the structure is. 
What I encouraged the ITF not to do was to build a structure that put artificial impediments in the way. Uh, and, and clearly guys like Stevie and, and, and Isner and Nicole, they figured out how to get good. You look at, you know, Jenny Brady, she didn't graduate, but, you know, she's two years at UCLA and, you know, she's been top 50 in the world. She might be 80 or something now, but I still think that people are going to realize that going to college has a lot of benefits. And I would encourage people to read a study that I did with my son, Jeff, years ago. It's still up on the internet on the USDA site called going to college or turning pro. And it still makes the same arguments for the costs and the cost uh, benefit analysis. So, you know, your specific question was about recruiting. And I can tell you that all of our uh, ITA coaches have different approaches to recruiting, where they recruit, recruit, who they talk to, what their sales pitch is. So I, I think there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all answer. I do think the next, you know, two to five years are really going to be, uh, you know, critical for people to, to figure this out. But there are people who argue that this could actually strengthen college tennis because it could drive more people there realizing that the other is too uncertain. With college mm -hmm. tennis, you know exactly what the certainties are. Sure, sure. Well, and it's interesting because when I first heard about this, I thought, oh, this sounds like a great idea. I mean, there's so many players that call themselves professional players, and, and they are to their credit. They are living that life, but they're paying to live that life. They're not being paid to live that life. Yeah. And, you know, that's a horrible situation to be in unless you've got money raining down from the heavens, you know, to cover your expenses. But, you know, we all have seen the data. I mean, it costs in excess of $100,000 a year to be out on the pro circuit um, with travel mm -hmm. and, and all of that. So, you know, at first I thought, well, this is great. It's going to keep those players who really don't belong in pro tennis, who are doing it more as just kind of a you know, I'm not ready to go into the real world yet, so I'll keep playing tennis for a little bit longer. Um, you know, it would be a, a, a way to to move those people quicker into adulthood. And I'm using air quotes here. But, um, I, it, you know, the more I read about it and the more I think about it, the more I realize that I, I don't think that's the case. And, and I, it just... It makes me really sad for, I you know the the person that comes to mind for me is is Tennis Sandgren. You know, here's a guy who, I mean, went to school. You know, he did he had a great college tennis career. He's been you know fighting his way in the futures and challengers for years, and then he has this breakout Australian Open. Would yep. he have been able to do that under this new structure? So, so uh, again, as you always are, you've not only thought through the issues, but you've articulated them beautifully and in a heartfelt way. Let me try to respond to the very beginning and then the end. Um, when you talked about the number of people who weren't making any money, to the ITF's credit, their heavy research showed who and who wasn't making money. And out of the twelve to 14,000 people who might have played in a futures, you know, they demonstrated that maybe... 2,000 people actually made money. So to your point, a lot of people were paying to play. So again, one of the first premises that I brought to the show today was that, you know, we might agree on the premises of what the ITF thought they were going to accomplish. To the end of your uh, of your thought, 
I don't think we know the answer to the Dennis Sangren question, but he's a perfect illustration. And there are others, you know, like him as well. And, and what I've tried to do is intersect even below that uh, part of the pyramid, because you have to have the base of the pyramid wide to get enough people to the top of the pyramid. And quite honestly, my largest concern is, is I've already articulated this once, but I think it's an important point that I don't think we want to build a structure that kills off the dream for tens of thousands of, of people. You know, we all know whether it is football, basketball, the NCAA research arm does studies all the time. You know, it's a very small percentage of people who play college football who make it to the NFL, you know, whether it's tennis, football, basketball, you know, we all know that the pyramid could go from, you know, 300,000 or 400,000 kids playing high school tennis to how many play college tennis, to how many make pro. It's the same for every sport. But if you create a structure where the dream is killed for the bottom of the pyramid, that I, I think potentially holds harm for the long-term uh, success of our sport. And, and our sport, you know, is challenged enough as it is. You know, everybody gets excited when they see the grand slams, but tennis is already kind of a challenge sport. So this is a really critical crossroads uh, for all of us to try to work to not only educate people, but hopefully to make the necessary tweaks going forward to have this work for, you know, all parts of the pathway. So have you been contacted by some of these juniors that are at this crossroads now? And if so, What's I mean, other than saying we don't know, which I get, I mean, we, we really don't know how do you, how do we guide these families into making a good decision? And, well, so, and I'm so avoiding first, the word right all, decision. I'm saying yeah, so, a good so, decision. So, so first of all, you're helping. You know, I'm sorry we couldn't give all the answers today, but we're at least telling people what we know. In my profession, I'm trying to get our coaches not only educated by sending this around, but by holding these town meetings. I, I know that uh, our friends at the USDA, you know, Martin Blackman, Stephen, my son, Jeff, all these people are thinking about these things. Um, but uh, the reality is everything's moving quickly. You got to remember the, you know, the ITF just announced this, you know, on the 1st of February. Uh, I know that, you know, USTA Pro Circuits is working on this. I know it'll be discussed at the USTA annual meeting coming up in the middle of March at, at La Costa. Uh, I know that my approach uh, from whether I was at the USTA or now running the ITA, we try to put out, you know, F FAQs to, to help people, uh, you know, but I think the advice that a lot of smart people can offer is things like welcome uncertainty. You know, my, my friend Ellen Langer at Harvard, who I've done, you know, research with says, you know, we all want certainty in life, but it doesn't always happen. So one, people are going to have to be a little patient. Uh, two, I, I think, you know, some of the general advice is not to make knee-jerk reactions. I think the obvious one that we've referenced already is everybody's going oh my gosh, I don't know. And I think my kid can be the next Roger Federer. So they better turn pro at 50. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where I have, even though it might not seem specific enough, my general advice right now is plan to go to college. <laughs> right. You know, if you get into college and then you want to turn pro after two or three years, fine. You know, I mean, there are case studies, forget even about the transition to or follow what happened to Noah Rubin, follow 
you know, what's going to happen with Chris, Chris Eubanks, follow what's going to happen to Patrick Kipps. And there's very few people who are going to become top 100 tennis players. Right. You know, that's the thing where the kids and the parents have to be smart. And sadly, it's usually the parents who have false ideas about where their kids are going to go. So whether it's a transition tour, whether it used to be a 15 or 25 K, whatever, the best thing is, you know, you got to keep developing your game, get as good as you can. Uh, but ultimately, you know, my calculus, the equation I use is that the top hundred pros are now in the men's side. Let's just say 27. The other study Jeff Russell and I did was to show that from the time you announce you're turning pro to if you make the top 100, and that's not a guarantee, is four to five years. Now, in my math book, if you subtract, you know, five from 27, that's 22, which just happens to be the age that you are when you graduate from college. Right. <laughs> you know, the, the reality is I know there's all sorts of research about developmental stuff. You can read Bloom. You know, everybody tries to cherry pick 13-year-olds and whatever. And we can all follow, you know, how all these various paths are going. You can follow Francis Tiafoe and Stephen Kozlov and Tommy Paul and Riley Opelka. And you can follow uh, uh, guys like Kipson. But in the end, my advice to young junior tennis players is to get as good as you can, <laughs> play as many matches as you can, uh, listen to smart people. But ultimately, I still think the avenue is going to be to college tennis, and it's not just because I run, you know, the ITA. Right. Uh, I also know that the large number of people who don't make it to be a top 100 are going to have had an education. They're going to become champions on and off the court. <laughs> they can love tennis all of their lives. I would just encourage people not to make knee-jerk reactions with not enough information. I suspect that one of the... I won't say unintended consequences, but just consequences of this could be additional pressure on the college coaches to really focus on player development, you know, which a lot of them don't do the right now. You know, they're looking, a lot of coaches are looking to bring in already developed players. And yes, they, they may get a little better during college, but for the most part, they're looking for players that are ready to go and, you know, perform and, and earn those all important points on the, on the tennis court. And, and so maybe, you know, this will be a challenge to the coaches to really kind of rethink their approach to player development once the players do get to them on the college campus? I don't know, just a thought. I mean, it's just something yeah. that popped into my brain as, as you were talking. And, and it'll be interesting to see if that happens because I, you know, there are some coaches now on both the men's and the women's side in college that are known for being developmental coaches, but then there, there are a lot of them that aren't, that don't have that reputation. Yeah. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if, if things change in that regard. Yeah. I do want to return if it's all right, because uh, we did a general intro by way of the transition when I was making my points about the transition tour. But if mm -hmm. we can just speak a little more about the ITA summer circuit, which oh, yeah. some junior parents and players might not know about it. A lot of top juniors, you know, are out always playing the USTA 
summer events and sectionals and clay courts and hard courts, and we encourage everybody to do that. But I think one of the coolest things that the ITA developed long before I showed up, but we've been trying to strengthen, is we do have this ITA summer circuit, and there are going to be 50 tournaments this summer in 50 different cities over six weeks that are going to culminate in a national championship at Texas Christian University in 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 August. Uh, and these tournaments are open tournaments. So literally a high school player can play a college player, a college player could play a local pro, et cetera. And I really encourage uh, juniors in America to enter these because I think they get a whole different a view of the kind of players as opposed to playing the same person you've played in your hometown 14 times in the USDA events or high school tennis, uh, a wide array of players, and you really can kind of gauge where you stand in the world of, 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 of high school through college. And the other thing is that these tournaments uh, are powered by UTR. So the ITA does have a partnership with UTR, all of these events are run through the UTR events uh, site, and so all of the tournament uh, uh, results quickly go into the UTR system. So it's a great way for people who are trying to build their uh, their UTRs to have competitive matches. The ITA has been trying different formats. We've had some flighted events. We really are committed to making the ITA summer circuit, you know, a place where people can get the most competitive matches so that you're not showing up and either winning 6061 or, or losing 6061. So we really are committed to this idea of development through uh through through competitive matches. We've partnered with UTR. There are fifty tournaments all around the country. And if uh, an American junior hasn't played in this summer circuit, I would encourage you uh, to consider doing so. Yeah, I love the ITA Summer Circuit, and people who've been following Parenting Aces know I I do at least one article every year to remind people to sign up, and usually we have you on or Erica on to talk about what's on tap for the summer. Let's let's talk details about the Summer Circuit. What is the draw size going to be this year? Singles and doubles, back draw. How do people sign up? Let's let's give all the specifics so people can start planning ahead. So, so one of the things I would say is when you talked about having Erica on, that's probably still a good idea. And the other one who can uh, uh, really give good answers is Corey Brooks, who's our terrific uh, director of championships, and the summer circuit falls under his his purview. Uh, and I can tell you uh, that last year we integrated things like the flighted events of the pilot test, uh, and and. Uh, that was uh, well-received. Uh, we are trying to make sure that the draw sizes uh, not only create competitive, uh, you know, matches, but that they can get through the singles and do- doubles uh, within the course of the, the weekend. Much like my first answer on the transition tour is that all of the final details have not been uh, determined. We do have all of the hosts we will be having a series of meetings as soon as our uh, our team indoors are done to finalize the answer to the specific question that you asked. So I would encourage you to have Corey and or Erica come back to answer all of those questions, but all of the info will be up on the ITA uh, uh, website 
and uh, there'll obviously be a lot of information put out about the the summer circuit. But uh, full disclosure, back to the theory of being candid, candid, each and every answer to the questions about draw sizes and the like have not actually been finalized. So, because we pilot tested a few things last year, and uh, some of the final decisions still need to be made. Okay. And so, I mean, I encourage everybody to take a look at this. And if, if there's any way you can get your junior player or even your current college player signed up for one or more of these events this summer, I promise you it will be a positive experience. I just, I love these tournaments. I love the way they're run. I love the the atmosphere, the vibe around them. Um, it's an incredible opportunity, especially like Tim said, for the junior players to really get a feel for what the college game feels like being on the court across the net from a college player. It It is a different game than junior tennis, for sure. And this is just such an awesome way for them to get introduced. And uh, I think it's, you know, it's really important that, Tim, that y'all keep tweaking these and making them better. And I, I mean, they were already great, but all of, all of the little changes that y'all continue to make. And of course I'm a big fan of UTR. So I love that they're powered through that platform. Um, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, it, it's, I mean, again, with, with all of this talk of this ITF transition tour and, you know, we have all of these options for how our kids should get ready for college and, and especially for that first fall in college. And, you know, a lot of kids, like you mentioned before, Tim, um, you know, they'll, they may play, try and get into a futures, you know, they'll play qualities for futures. Um, but these ITA summer circuit events really should be included along with maybe a couple open tournaments, you know, men's and women's open tournaments um, that we've talked about before on this podcast as well. So well, th- th- I mean, thank you for not thank you for not only that very kind endorsement, but just for people to be clear, the website is actually www.itatennis.com. And if you scroll across the top, it says events. And if you scroll down to the second thing, it, there's a there's a click through for ITA summer circuit. So it is easy to 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 find. So thank you for the endorsement, and and uh, I'm thrilled that you continue to promote them. Oh, absolutely. And do you know if UTR has them listed on their tournament portal yet? Um, I can't answer that, but I could probably go on the website, but we do partner with them. And and last year, one of the big upgrades was the partnership with them so that, you know, all of the tournament directors use this. This is where the players are going to enter. And people who've gotten more interested in UTR can not only find them, but one of the old problems, quite honestly, used to be, you know, if we had a challenge, it was, oh, my son and daughter played in a summer circuit event and it hasn't shown up on their UTR yet. And the fact that mm-hmm. we're partnering with UTR, all of the draws are going directly into their match database. So uh, it should populate people's UTRs uh, as quickly as UTR does that. Right. And just so my listeners know, I'll, I'll check that out and um, I will have the links of for the ITA's website. But if the tournaments are already in the UTR portal, I'll also include that link in the show notes. So be sure and check that out and you'll just be able to click through and go right to it and get your kids signed up and get it on the calendar. So, Tim. Fantastic. 
Tim, what else is going on in the world of college tennis? I mean, we're we're early in the season. I am actually, well, by the time this airs, I will have already gone to the Blue Gray this weekend in Montgomery, Alabama, which is an awesome tournament that happens every year. And the school my son played at last year, their team travels to that tournament every year. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing some of his his uh Bronco buddies and um what else is happening around the world of college? So, so first of all, the Blue Gray is a great event. When my son played at the College of William & Mary, they always played. My wife and I went there. It was always one of our favorite tournaments. So college tennis is in the throes of the spring season. Uh, the ITA uh, Division I men's and women's team indoors have just completed. Those were both thrilling events, uh, North Carolina uh, beat Pepperdine uh, for the women's championship, and uh, uh, and Wake Forest uh, ended up beating UCLA uh, in the men's. Yes, championship. my poor Bruins, my poor Bruins. It was a battle. <laughs> <laughs> well, but there were a bunch of events that I a bunch of matches like I've never seen. There were matches that literally ended four, three on, you know, seven, six in the third on the last match on. So one thing I can tell you is that there is great parity in college tennis. Uh, that That's one thing that's, that's great. Uh, but in addition to focusing uh, on D1, obviously the ITA serves all of college tennis. So this coming week is the uh, men's D3 uh, uh, team indoor. And then uh, March, uh, Second through fourth is the women's D3 in Chattanooga, and I'll be traveling uh, there. Uh, obviously, college teams have been having a lot of their dual matches, and will be getting into the height of their of their season. Uh, and uh, the ITA, you know, not only looks forward to continuing to covering college tennis, but for those people who don't know, the ITA has a very extensive uh, awards program. I think everybody knows that uh, tennis players historically have not only been uh, uh, good students, but uh, have had high graduation rates. So we're very proud of not only our our ITA scholar athlete program uh, for individuals, but also the teams. So the spring will also see the ITA uh, awards uh, program. Uh, but we also continue to try to improve our uh, coaching education opportunities. Uh, we've now got a series of, of, of webinars for coaches. We're getting ready for our convention uh, next year. Uh, we have a wonderful board of directors who's working very hard. We've been trying to raise the profile of college tennis. And I think most people know that the world of intercollegiate athletics is usually dominated by football and basketball, but I do think our really fine marketing and social media team has started to move the uh, the dial in the world of, of tennis. Uh, so I think all is going really well uh, in the world of, uh, of college tennis. It's an exciting game. And, uh, you know, one of the messages that I like to send to everyone, because earlier in the show you referenced international players, there is a spot in college tennis for every American junior who wants to play. Uh, you know, so if we're going to really have an overarching message as we try to continue to grow college tennis, the messages are keep getting better, keep working hard at your academics as well as your uh, athletics. And, and if you want to play uh, college varsity tennis, there'll be a spot. If you want to play 
tennis on campus, there will be a spot. But uh, college tennis is healthy. Uh, the mission of the ITA is not only to just serve college tennis, but to advance uh, the sport. So I appreciate it, Lisa, you're referencing that we're always trying to improve things, whether those are our championships, our summer circuit, our social media, or our uh, awards program. So we're working hard on behalf of college tennis, and we know that in doing so, we will return uh, the leaders of tomorrow. Absolutely. And I mean, we can't not touch on the fact that the tennis channel is airing college tennis this year. I mean, that's huge. It's awesome. And we've got to give great shout outs, not only to the tennis channel, but uh, to, again, our friends at the USTA, uh, people like uh, Virgil Christian, who's working very hard with Tim Cass at the National Tennis Center. The fact that all of the college match days are on uh, the tennis channel is huge. Uh, you know, the fact that UTR is working, the ITA is working, the USTA is working. I mean, there are a lot of people who are working very hard each and every day uh, to advance our our sport. So uh, uh, without getting ahead of ourselves, this idea of promoting more things on, on TV is certainly something that the ITA is working on as we continue to improve our uh, fall championship. So uh, I'll give a little curtain raiser teaser for people to pay attention to next fall as well. Awesome. And I I just want to say to my listeners, you have no excuse to not watch college tennis this year, because even if you don't have a team close by that you can go to their matches, which I'm sorry, but almost every community has college tennis within an hour, I, I think. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, but I mean, there's so many college tennis programs out there that pretty much everybody could find a program to go support, right? Indeed. Yeah. We have, so, we, we have six, 1,600 programs around the country. Okay, so there you go. So if, even if you say, I can't get to a tennis match live, now you really have no excuse because the Tennis Channel is airing these college match days that are taking place at Lake Nona, and they are featuring the top teams in the country. And hopefully as – this platform continues to expand. They will expand to, you know, maybe some of the uh, mid-major schools, maybe some of the NAIA schools will start to be featured. I think it would be really cool to focus not only on the top division one schools, but also these other divisions as well, because as Tim said, there is a college tennis team out there for every kid that wants to play you may just have to do a little research to figure out the best fit, but it, it's there. I promise. No, no doubt. And as a tennis junkie, I was riveted to the first match between Florida and Florida state where one of the singles went down to like a 10, eight uh, tiebreaker. Another one was at nine, seven and the two team matches were incredibly exciting. The format that we have you know, created is very exciting and uh, I think fans are enjoying it, whether it's on TV or or live. The the doubles continues to be riveting, and uh, as uh, Greg Patton likes to say, uh, when you get time to the singles, it's like going to a giant uh, Harkinger AMC theater and watching six uh, films at one time. You know, you can look around and see. Uh, 
uh, one that's an adventure film, one that's a comedy. But when you have six singles matches going on at one time, it is exciting. And you add uh, no ad scoring and people playing the big points. The format and the product that we have developed, uh, I think, really has fans as well as players really excited about college tennis. Well, that's good to hear. And you know, I'm a big fan and uh, I hope that you and I will run into each other at, at something this year. Well, uh, I'm going to be in Wake Forest for the D1 uh, NCAAs. And uh, if you happen to be in Chattanooga, the 1st to 4th of March, I'll be for the D3 Women's Indoors. But otherwise, we'll look forward to uh, seeing you wherever that uh, that might be. And thanks again for all you do uh, for our sport. Well, thank you for always being willing to chat with me about any anything and everything. I feel like I, I reach out to you quite a bit. <laughs> You're always super responsive. And, and I, I just really appreciate that. And I know my listeners do too. So thanks for spending the hour with us, Tim. It was awesome. You take care and we'll look forward to the next time. Great. Thanks so much. And to my listeners, thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.